there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Hey, it's a special edition of Advanced Medicine Monday today. I I just was pulling Dr. Batar. He's just like, well, what do you say? When your voice is lost and you got to do radio, not a good combination. And <clears throat> not, not at all, Robert. It's a... Uh... It's it's basically when one child gets um, picks up a bug, then they mm-hmm. all pick it up, and uh, and eventually you as a parent will then pick it up, and that's exactly what happened. And I never get sick, but you know when you're mm-hmm. got your toothbrushes all together, yep. that's what happens. Oh, that's a good way to share it. And listen, if you want to stay healthy, don't have kids. No, just yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things here you learn. But the reality is, we can do everything just as as well as we can. But there are times where. We're burning ourselves out just from working, uh, you know, overtime all the time because we're passionate about what we do. And I think one of the misunderstandings of, of, and we've talked about it a lot, health is the absence of disease. No, that's not what health is. I mean, it's being able to adapt and deal with anything that's thrown your way. And, of course, quote-unquote illnesses, losing your voice, all of these things are the body's attempt to reestablish the healthy terrain. Absolutely, Robert. In fact, I think it's very important for people to realize that one of the signs of good health is the fact that you can get sick. Now, what does that mean? That may sound like an oxymoron, but mm-hmm. the, the, let me let me edify that statement. Yes. When I have patients that come into the clinic and um, you know they're suffering from some type of a major major issue, such as cancer, for example, that's the biggest one that comes to mind, or even diabetes, but usually cancer is a big one. The common historical component that they give me when I'm gathering their history is I don't understand how this happened because I never get sick. Uh That's a very bad sign, as you know. Yes. Let let me add to that because I know I'm going to be pulling some some of your voice weight today, and that's okay. But I love this topic because I have also heard the same story. People that say, I don't understand. How how did I get, quote, unquote, cancer, whatever it is? I haven't had the flu in 20 years. I haven't been sick in, uh, you know, all of these things. And what we see is a slide from what I call the acute or sthenic condition. When you're strong, you're vital, and you react, and you can have a high fever, whatever it takes, to the point where you're drifting into the states of chronicity. And there's a point on the road to cancer where your body is so toxic that there, not a lot of germs can do much to you. It's just there's no reaction either. The immune system is not – so you're sort of like you're living with all of this stuff. It doesn't appear to be doing anything in an acute phenomenon scenario, but yet chronically underlying everything, it's setting the stage for this manifestation of something devastating later. Exactly. And it's not that it's setting the stage. It's mm-hmm. actually a warning that that's the stage that you're in because mm-hmm. – the lack of the body's ability to mount an immune response yes. is indicative of a level of toxicity that is beyond what should normally be expected for the body to be able to tolerate. Yes. And the more you're toxic, the less your ability to mount a response. So the example that you just used of a fever is a beautiful example because when a person has a fever, that is a normal mechanisms of the body designed to deal with a bacterial or a viral infection. And so you want the body to have a fever. That's one reason I don't. I tell my patients not to try to suppress a fever. Right. In fact, when we're trying to elicit a, a shift in a patient that we're treating with cancer, 
And after we give them the Arsoda, they start having that shift and their body gets hot. They start getting a fever, chills. We tell them, do not do anything to prevent that. That is what we want. We want that response to occur because the body needs to wake up. And that immune response is God's mechanisms in place to protect us. It's when the body can no longer do that, that we have to now be very, very careful. We have to be very aware of the lack of our body's ability to mount a response is indicative of a level of toxicity that our body cannot handle. Right. And and what you just said, you know, about I haven't had a cold in 20 years, I haven't had this or that, that is a major, major warning sign that your body is under uh, a level of toxicity where you are becoming susceptible to all these other things. It's just kind of like this. An analogy would be that if I come up and I kick a dog and the dog turns around and bites me, well, that dog's immune system, that dog is working right. Mm-hmm. If I come up and I, you know, or I, or I come up and I punch you, Robert, and you, you know, you deck me, that's, you're, you're responding in the right manner. <laughs> if I come up and I hit you and you just roll over and you just lay there, yeah. or I kick the dog and it just doesn't do anything, that's, that's a sign. You know, that, there's something going on. Like if you're wrestling with your brother mm-hmm. and your brother fights back, that's normal. But if he doesn't do anything, he's just limpless, you know that there's something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, there's the there's the resp- the immune response in this way, the ability to react appropriately, accordingly, to meet right. that force with an appropriate counterforce when again we are challenged in this way. And being toxic, being deficient over time means that we cannot react or respond accordingly. I've said this, I've told this story on the air, and we've even discussed it in my recovery with my mentor, laughing when I felt like I was dying because I had my first high fever spiked on the treatment, on the homeopathic detox protocol. And I thought, I, here I thought I was dying, it was miserable, and he's laughing and congratulating me and saying, my goodness, we're on the right track, you're getting stronger, and it was like, a completely foreign concept to my Western mind uh, medical upbringing. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what we do. We high five when people are going through the shifts after we've treated them during their with their our sodas during the four staggered weeks of treatment. That's what we. That's exactly the fourth step in our in our program with cancer is target acquisition. And we use the Arsoda, the autogenous antigen receptor specific oncogenic target acquisition mechanism, which is. A fancy way of basically saying a very specific marker that we introduce into the body that allows the body to identify the cancer as being formed, which is specific to their cancer. So it's, it's essentially the using the the theory of a vaccine or how a vaccine is supposed to work theoretically, but without any additives or this or that. It's just introducing in the foreign DNA adducts that are consistent and unique to that particular cancer that we gather from the patient. And that's exactly what we want. We don't want to suppress the response, as you just said. Mm -hmm. And for the healthcare providers out there, for the conventional doctors out there that may have a harder time understanding this, I will tell you a very simple statement that every doctor will now understand that at any level of their training, they've had to have spent at least a minimum of four weeks during their third or fourth year medical school as a as a uh, clinical rotation, you have two children that come into the clinic. One child is crying, is um, you know tears running, throwing a temper tantrum. Another child is quiet, listless, not doing anything, no tears being formed. Which child do you first treat? Mm-hmm. The child that is not making any noise, that is quiet, that is listless, because if a child is crying and they're making tears, their airway, their breathing, and their circulation is intact because you can't cry and make a noise unless your airway is intact. 
You can't cry unless you're able to breathe. And the fact that they're crying, tears coming out, that means that their circulation, they're not dehydrated. Mm -hmm. That's not moving. That's not making any noise. It's just listless is impending doom. You must act within the next 30 minutes to an hour. Otherwise, that child is going to crash. So that's a perfect example of no response versus a very agitated response. The agitated response individual, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. And in fact, in triage, when I used to teach triage, mm-hmm. same scenario. You have a guy screaming, saying, hey, I need help. I need help. And the other guy's not saying anything. You know that the airway, the guy that's screaming he needs help is okay because he's breathing. The guy that's not making any noise, he could have a tension pneumothorax. He could have a obstructed airway. He could have anything. Mm-hmm. And you have to evaluate him first to make sure he's able to you know, survive the next 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, if you're just joining us, it is Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Batar. He's got his 1-900 Dr. Batar voice today. <laughs> Um, and, and we are, you know, having him go through this because he's that uh, trooper for advanced medicine here. And we're talking about the signs of a proper strong response. You know, when we are temporarily taken aback or challenged, that it is okay. In fact, it is optimal that we see some things that there is pain, for instance, because even pain is a symptom of strength and energy, the body trying to communicate, although there are terms of chronic pain long term that can be depleting, and we'll get into that. But Dr. Batar, on the on the issue of fever, let me ask you, do you I mean in, in the medical school perspective and training, was it specifically taught you must reduce fever when did this concept of reducing fever at almost all costs to to the liver and other organs when did that integrate in the 20th century are you aware of that well i'm not exactly aware of it robert i have a feeling you are Mm -hmm. and uh you are aware of it and i have a feeling it's probably around the turn of the century when the entire medical education was corrupted Mm -hmm. and ty talks a lot about that with the history of medicine yes i would assume it was probably around that time frame but it's very similar And I would bet, if I was a betting man, that it would be around the same time that we started going away from digestive enzymes and giving things to reduce the amount of acid in the stomach when a person has reflux. Or the same time that we started uh, shifting from the thought process, if somebody has diarrhea, support them with with fluids. Mm -hmm. And now we started to stop diarrhea. I mean, I'm I'm not talking about someone in a situation where somebody is, um, you know... um, Not like dysentery. Right. I'm not talking about where dehydration and mineral status is compromised, but the common diarrhea that somebody gets because they ate something wrong, immediately going trying to stop it as opposed to letting the body get rid of it. And it's only going to last two days a day as opposed to a week if you try to stop it. Yeah, exactly. And it is distinct. And, you know, it's not like it started one day in the 20th century. Of course, we've talked about the history of the Flexner Report in 1910, how that kind of set the stage for petrochemical medical monopoly kind of uh, education. But even prior to that, I mean, the whole basis for Dr. Samuel Hahnemann establishing homeopathy was because he saw, even as an allopathically originally trained physician, that he was told, you know, taught here, if this happens, you want to stop it from happening. You want to fight it. And so this allopathic concept that the the phrase coined by homeopaths is that it's always to work against. So if you have a fever, you want to stop it. And the homeopathic perspective was if you have it, you want to encourage it. You want it to come out. You want it to get through it and over it. So you didn't fight the body, but you work with it. It's a different kind of Kung Fu. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's been one of the big shifts, I believe, in modern medicine, which occurred, as I, I said, around the turn of the century, so I was pretty close, about 100 years now, yep. that that we went off on this wrong track. And I think that those people that are aware and that understand are going more back 
on the on the track of understanding that it's all about the terrain. Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, well, let's take our first break here. Uh, Dr. Batar will gargle with his special tea that he made, and we'll keep that voice going, having a good time. Advanced Medicine Monday here. The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, the international bestseller by Dr. Batar, is available for all our new listeners. We have it linked up in the show notes. Also, we're getting a lot of interest from places. Hey, we want the Advanced Medicine Seminar. Hey, if you get 50 of your friends or 49 of your friends together, it can come to your city. I know there's a lot of people in New York working on it behind the scenes. So stand by. We'll get more information on that and your questions coming through to Dr. Batar right here on Advanced Medicine Monday of the Robert Scott Bell Show. We'll be right back. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, let's uh, let's visit Asia for our first question. I, I, have you ever heard about the, what do they call it, the binding of the feet that was done? I don't know if it's still done historically. They wanted to keep lady little girls' feet small and they bound them up in childhood. Yep, it's um, even in our own society, Robert, there are many women mm-hmm. that wear very tight shoes because they think that the smaller the shoe that they're wearing, they're more petite they are. Yeah, well, I, I know I've already lost that battle with my son, who's uh, got a foot the size of me at 13. So forget that for boys. They're going to grow. They're going to do what they do. But for ladies that are wearing, like, high-heeled, small-toed shoes, I mean, this could result <coughs> some, for some skeletal issues or skeletal problems. There might be metabolic issues. But we got an email from a uh, listener, Marcella, talking about, a bunion problem. First and foremost, Dr. Batar, how do you describe or define what a bunion is? Well, um, it's basically a deformation or a reformation due to certain extrinsic causes that cause the bone to form mm-hmm. in an in, indirect path or an in, incorrect path, I guess you could say. Right, right. And this lady is saying it's it's really bad. She's talking about having to walk on the side of her foot because... Her big toe is pointing the wrong way. I mean, I'm thinking there's got to be a metabolic issue as well as whatever she might be wearing on her on her feet. I mean, to have to the body laying out bone tissue in the wrong way. I mean, you really got to mess with it. Yeah, I think there are metabolic issues also going on, Robert, and mm-hmm. and the matrix how the how the bone lays down, and you've got certain other conditions that can affect people. Um, which I, I'm not privy to all these specifically, but I would assume that they probably have something to do with how the balance of uh, calcitonin, parathyroid hormone, perhaps, right? Um, where things such as like Auschwitz slaughters that affect the development of bone, etc. Mm-hmm. Well, if we're looking at something like this, it's someone that obviously she listens to us every week and she's saying, I don't want to do surgery. She actually referenced family members that have been through this that have a, a botched surgery and maintain a chronic pain level in the foot or toe that it just it never seems to be corrected. Obviously, we are, we are of the mind that we want to avoid surgery if at all possible as a last resort, but uh, you know, is this a matter of do they, do they have to break the toe, cut the, the, the bone out, and try to reset it? Yeah, this is basically the only way that I'm aware of to actually get rid of a, a bunion problem that extensive. Now, <clears throat> I will say that a person undergoing any kind of surgery should first do a few things mm-hmm. to make sure that they're not going to have a complication. We probably Robert. need to go through a few of those things for everybody because, I mean, they're, they're, no matter what we do, there are going to be times when people 
are utilizing the services of a surgeon. We're glad if you need it that there's somebody qualified to do it. Uh, but the things you can do to prep yourself for it means you will minimize the risks associated with such an invasive kind of procedure. Yeah, Robert, I agree with you. I think that's very important. In anything in life, we should always prepare before we take the next step. It's kind of like a field. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. It's so important first to plow the field and prepare it before you plant the seed. And that's essentially what we're talking about, that before you do surgery, that you do certain things first to prepare your body for success. Yeah, I want to talk about that with the, with the limited voice that you have today. And I was you just said uh, prepare the field. And I, I'm, I'm hearing and I'm seeing energy field as well. I know this is a whole other kind of, I guess, etheric or even esoteric concept, but it's a very real one in that, Working with someone visually, visualizing the success of the surgery, seeing the outcome, wanting the restoration of integrity of the physicality of the tissue, how the energy field, that expectation that you set up from a mental and emotional and even a spiritual perspective will play itself out even as the surgeon cuts the physical body. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And at the, a lot of people may not even understand that concept, but... I think more and more people are understanding that concept, and it is, it's all on all levels. Mm-hmm. When I say prepare the body for success, I mean, again, addressing all seven of those components that we talk about in the toxicity. You know, reduce metals, reduce persistent organic pollutants, reduce the opportunistics, increase your energetics in the whole concept, making sure you prepare your food the, the correct way, having the right type of food beforehand, the spiritual, emotional, psychological aspects. You're absolutely right. And we do a thing we have in our clinic. Before anybody goes to surgery, we have a pre-surgery uh, workup that we basically do. Not a workup, but a pre-surgery treatment that we do. And it's usually only two days unless somebody's going for a major type of surgery like cancer, debulking or something like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, for that, it's another process. It's normally two to three weeks. And what we're doing is we're trying to reduce the bulk of the mass so that when the body, when the surgeon goes in and when the body is being stressed, you're not having to deal, the body doesn't have to deal with the stress as much and the tumor has gone into a retractive phase trying to go into a defensive posture so that when the surgeon does take out the margins, there's a higher degree of certainty that they will be clean margins. So there's a couple of different things that we do to prepare the body that way. Yeah, very good. Now, if we're talking about the two-day prep, I can imagine that we're also going to modulate immunity, strengthen its resolve. And, and so because any surgery is a shock to the system, however much you're prepared, the body will react with inflammation and defense, as you said. And we want to uh, modulate that homeopathically. We can do things like Arnica and Ipericum, different things that address that. Uh, we can talk in terms of immune modulation with silver for retarding infection and other immunomodulators. Uh, what do you, you have a protocol that seems to work across the board? Yes, actually, I do, Robert. Um, and I'll share a little secret. Mm-hmm. One of the things, since a person can get this now over the counter directly, and you've got this up on your show notes and everything. Yes. One thing that a person can do definitively to prepare themselves for any kind of surgery. And again, remember that I'm biased because I developed this. So obviously I'm going to have a bias to it. But uh, if you go to the website for TransD, yes, at TransD.com, you will see so many doctors talking about their results with patients. And you like to hear a couple of patients talk about what 
their surgeon said after they went through the surgery and they were on trans D. And there's, in fact, there's a lady on there that talks about her experience, Karen, and uh, what her plastic surgeon said. And I've had this happen. If I've had it happen once, I've had it happen at least a hundred times where patients have come back and said their doctors were shocked at how fast they recovered. Um, you know, instead of a 10 day recovery, it was only four days of recovery. It was only five days of recovery, only six days of recovery. Um, when they do the, um, the uh, nose job, the, the rhinoplasties, they typically have to break a number of bones to do that. And there's a thing called raccoon eyes where you have ecchymosis mm-hmm. on the eyes. So you look like you got two black eyes. And that normally takes about two weeks to recover from. And we've had two different patients that have had that surgery done, had been on transity for a month, two months before, and their bruising and ecchymosis was totally resolved but within seven to eight days. And, um, you know, they didn't have as much pain. They were able to get back to work faster. You know, any type of surgery, we've seen that. I mean, that, and the rhinoplasty is a major surgery because you're breaking bones. Um, in other surgeries, you don't have to break bones, but they're recovering. You know, getting up out of bed, walking. Etc. Ouch, ouch. You just brought back horrible memories <laughs> when I was a teenager and my ear, nose, and throat guy uh, said he took pity on me because, I, you know, I was the poster boy for allergies. And we had been on shots and over-the-counter and prescription drugs. And finally, he says, hey, let's fix his deviated septum, as if my septum wasn't deviated by God. I mean, we're all supposed to flow the air through the nose, sinus passages that way. But they, I remember the surgery. I was not fully knocked out. And they, they literally crunches that you hear. It's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what's happening. It is pretty traumatic for anybody. You're absolutely right, Robert. Yeah. The ecchymosis you talked about, the bruising, the swelling, this was long before I knew homeopathy or trans-D or anything. So for the you know, those of you who are knowing that you're going to have to undergo surgery in the near future, that would be one of the greatest ways to prep and minimize the recovery time and the discomfort getting there. So for uh, our question that just came in from Marcella on the bunion thing, if you find that you have to because it's so extreme with your bunions to undergo the surgery, utilize some of the things we just mentioned from the visualizations to see the restored tissue, the functionality, the physicality of it being correct so that you're less likely to end up in a situation where there's a botched surgery. And then, of course, for recovery, we talk about, you know, whether it be homeopathy or the trans-D, which is indeed, as Dr. Batar mentioned, linked up in the show notes each week here on Advanced Medicine Monday. Go to robertscottbell.com. It'll take you right there, and you can plug in and transform in that way. So, uh, Marcel, I appreciate the question on that. Let us know how the follow-up is, if there's anything we can do on this end. Uh, there are an, uh, a few other questions. I think we're going to take a quick break here. And Robert, before we, before oh. we do that, let me just make one comment. Go ahead. Uh, the one thing is that I don't want to make a, a, a big thing out of this, but I have seen, I have actually had a personal experience with a nurse that worked for me in the, one of the emergency rooms whose husband had a routine bunionectomy and went to the hospital, had no medical problems that we knew of, and never made it out of the hospital. So mm. I just want to make sure that everybody understands that no matter how minor the surgery right. or how major the surgery, please make sure that you take precautions because any time you are in the hospital, the chances of things going wrong are, are possible. And yes. I'm not trying to deter somebody from doing that, obviously, but my point is that you have to have a high index of uh, suspicion and make sure that you're proactive 
in taking care of yourself. Yeah, exactly. And don't go into this lightly. Not that Marcella was. She's very concerned about it, would like to avoid it, and that's what we all would like to see. But given the circumstance, we know a lot of people end up having to go through it. Sometimes it's an emergency trauma situation in the ER, or otherwise, in this case, you're talking about the. it's not a life-threatening scenario in a bunion, typically, but you're dealing with chronic pain, and you want to see how to address it or manage it. Obviously, we want to increase the things that reduce inflammation, tissue inflammation in the body. We may talk more about that. Dr. Batar is an absolute trooper today. We could have done an encore. He's like, no, 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 we're going, we're doing this, we're doing this. And the voice is, is uh, struggling to come back, but, but I, I got you, Dr. Batar. It's better, it's better though, right? It's coming through, yes. And I appreciate your willingness to come on because everybody looks forward to us kicking off the week together here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. So check it all out. All the links are up, including to the Trans D we just mentioned. We've got a question coming in about eyes, cataracts. So from the toes to the eyes, is there any connection? <laughs> we'll see. Stand by. Lots more healing to go on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Bittar. It is Advanced Medicine Monday. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. On the break, Dr. Batar said he had another message for Marcella, a question about the surgery, or, or was it about finding somebody locally to where she is? Well, actually, I was going to talk about the type of doctor you should actually have do this, and I know that I'm going to get harassed about this, but uh-huh. if you're going to have a surgeon work on your foot, and by the way, most orthopedic surgeons are very good but I would highly recommend that you find a podiatrist, a good podiatrist who you connect with. Any kind of provider that you're going to end up talking to, you should always make sure that you feel comfortable with them. You know, I hear sometimes people say, well, you know, I went there, but I just didn't feel that comfortable. But, you know, what are you going to do? Here's what you're going to do. You're going to find a doctor that you feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as the technical aspect, remember that an orthopedic surgeon deals with bones throughout the body, but a podiatrist only deals with below the ankle so they just do a lot more of the same type of surgery so they're just a lot more proficient Mm -hmm. you know if you do something a thousand times as opposed to a hundred times a thousand times you're going to be just a lot more proficient so i would recommend a podiatrist and i don't know what area of the country marcel's in but Mm -hmm. there's some uh, you know i have some very close friends that are podiatrists that are phenomenal surgeons in alabama in texas in a couple areas i don't know what area she's in but um, I'm sure that she could find a very good podiatrist, but I would recommend a podiatrist to do a bunion surgery as opposed to an orthopedic surgeon. Have you ever had people call the office and, and, and look for a referral like this? Yeah, we actually do have people quite a few times call. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I can't really refer people in certain areas because most in most areas I don't know anybody. If sure. we do happen to know somebody, we do recommend them. But yeah, we have that a lot more than you'd expect, Robert. A lot of people call asking for recommendations, referrals. Well, it, it was kind of like uh, you know the, the lady that came from Idaho to the Advanced Medicine Seminar in Houston and now has her daughter with her daughter's son, her grandson, under the care of one of the physicians you trained. So sometimes you, you may get great fortune and be in an area, or you might be willing to travel to those areas to get proficiency. Absolutely. I mean, there are some doctors that are very good, and it may not be – you know, convenient, but you may have to travel a couple hours to find the right the right person. But to me, if I'm putting my child mm-hmm. or, or my loved one or myself in a situation that could be precarious, I want to go to somebody that, one, I trust implicitly, and two, that is proficient in what they do. Mm. Well, here's another uh, question of someone who wants to avoid surgery, potentially. But this goes from the toe to the eye now. 
And this is someone who was very patient with me because realized I was in Dubai when he first wrote about this. And I knew that it was one thing I wanted to go through with you, Dr. Batar. Uh, it's a new listener, but just had an eye exam and found out that he had blurriness. But the reason in the right eye was due to what they call a posterior subcapsular cataract that is forming. The doctor's working with this guy. What does he what does he say? He says the first recommendation is for surgery. Why why is the first recommendation surgery? That's invasive. He doesn't want that. He's forty eight years old, a male obviously. Never smoked nor drank alcohol nor done drugs. Not had any trauma to his head or eye. He asked if uh, we have any idea or can we direct him to an herbal or homeopathic remedy and you know, anything holistic. So obviously he doesn't feel like he's at the point where he needs to have that invasive surgery, and, and maybe he can avoid it. Timothy is his name. And certainly, this, you know, what's interesting about this, one of your patients, one of my uh, close friends originally from Nigeria, her mother worked as a physician before she lost her life some years ago to a tragedy that was non-medical. But he, she, she was utilizing homeopathic medicine for patients dealing with both cataracts and glaucoma, with homeopathic medicine. So we know there are holistic modalities that can reduce the severity and intensity and sometimes maybe avoid surgery altogether. Yeah, I would have to agree with that, Robert. I think that there are many things out there that a person could try, and I certainly would uh, want to try those things first. I am not a expert in the eye. Um, I know that for macular degeneration, which is the leading cause of blindness, chelation works phenomenally, but um, I couldn't really do too much as far as cataracts, but I would suspect that there would be many solutions and potions that could be put in the eye uh, with somebody who knows how to use the various types of remedies, the homeopathics and some of the other components. In fact, I remember about eight years ago being contacted by uh, a gentleman who was also distributing. That was when Transity was still by prescription, and mm-hmm. he distributed a, a lot of the Transity to a lot of the different compounding pharmacies. And uh, he talked to me about a product that they were testing, where they would put the drops in the eyes and for cataracts. And they had within, I think it was a two month period or a three month period, forty to fifty percent resolution. And at six months, they had over seventy five percent resolution of the cataract. Now, I don't remember what that substance was. It was some kind of a product they had made, uh, one of the other doctor groups that he had represented. And uh, I never did keep up with that. But I know that there have been things out there. Mm-hmm. Certainly encourage him to look. And then, of course, you know, you've got a wealth of information for from a homeopathic standpoint. Yes. In fact, uh, you know, we had great success with certain key remedies for the eye uh, that we would take orally. We weren't even putting it in the eye. Similison, which is a Swiss homeopathic company, actually has a cataract care eye drop formula, which can be used very safely. And I've seen it even cross over into traditional ophthalmology offices and optometrist offices. So there is change and transformation happening out there. And in addition, there are oral medications. Even King Bio, our friend Dr. King there in Asheville, has an eye formula called eye stress. Now, it's not saying cataract. Sometimes there's an issue of prescription labeling versus OTC, so you can't put everything on the label. But many of the remedies in there can also help with reduction of inflammation. And, of course, that addresses you know the primary means of, of, of uh, a lot of these diseases manifesting as either cataract or even uh, glaucoma situations where we have inflammation in the eye. So there's something I would do homeopathically. And, of course, everything else that you learn about in the nine steps to keep the doctor away will play a role here. Now, this guy says he's kind of been on a clean lifestyle. We don't know what he may have been exposed to in terms of heavy metals. 
because we would never, ever say that mercury couldn't possibly play a role in eye diseases. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's so many other components that you have to make sure that have been addressed. <clears throat> you have to make sure that the toxicity aspects have been addressed. And, and Robert, you, you know, brought up this point with the, with the um, transition of that particular Swiss homeopathic that is now coming into the mainstream conventional medicine. Yes. I've seen that happen in a number of different products, homeopathics, as an example a very good friend of mine, a plastic surgeon, um, uses routinely uses arnica before and after surgery, and I've seen other surgeons actually use the same thing. So, so that transition that's coming along, even though that the medical hierarchy may try to oppose it yes. and deter it in a in a very subverted type form, the doctors that really want to help their patients, they're finding these tools. And these modalities that they can easily access to help their patients get a better response, and they're doing it left, right, and center. And and that's one of the other indications that you know we're we're coming full circle back to the original basis of medications, which were herbs. And I think you may have seen that little poster of the of the history of medicine, where it shows Cro-Magnon man with you know with a with a leaf in his hand, and yes. then. Goes on to herbs and potions, then comes to modern medicine, and then it shows you know how we're going back to the natural methods. Mm-hmm. You seen that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a it's a, a profound visual coming back to you know everything old is new again. But the reality is, medicine is food, and food is medicine has been an ancient concept, and it's been around since the dawn of man and creation itself. Yet we thought technologically, I think our egos got in the way to think, oh, we can outcreate the creator and 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 do things synthetically. And of course, it's been overall, uh, you know, a larger disaster than it's been helpful in more places than not. And so, coming back around to this, as we see in the case in point of dealing with eye diseases in optometrists and ophthalmologists' offices, it's shocking to see homeopathy in their offices. But it's showing that this consciousness shift we've been discussing since we got on the air. As, as is really playing, even though, the, as you said, the hierarchy, those that want to control and manipulate all of the ways the doctors can and cannot uh, operate, the reality is it's it, they're squeezing so hard that these doctors are, are squeezing right out of the grip. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, most of these doctors really just want to help their patients. Robert, can you tell a difference in my voice? Yeah, it's getting better. That, that's What <clears throat> have you got? This Ayurvedic Korean tea combination? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You, you want me to tell you what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we call it our Ultra Balance Amalaki Longevity Formula, and um, I just started using it last night to soothe my throat, and uh, it has really made a big difference. Well, we were talking over the last few days, or I should say I was talking and I was trying to decipher what you were saying, and I was like, oh, man, we got to be ready for Monday, but at the same time, recognize it. It's okay, Dr. Batara, we can run a, an encore. People will understand, but as I said, you toughed it out, and the tea is making a huge difference from when we talked just yesterday even. So what is this? Is it, you mentioned to me off the air, so like some kind of longevity tea. I'm thinking, was it the longevity of your voice or more than that? Well, it's actually interesting. It's got. I actually took a pause there just to get another sip because I felt my voice slipping again. But um, it's got a combined formula: one that's Ayurvedic mm-hmm. and one that's Korean based, and it's a conglomeration of uh, many different herbs that are powerful adaptogenic and anti-aging type herbs. And this is what tradition has stated in these two countries, in India and in Korea. And legend has it that basically. Um, let's see. Let me just read this. Mm-hmm. The rare and secret master formula from an ancient Korean medical text, only given to royalty, that stated that those who took this formula daily for twenty-seven years 
I don't know why 27 years, but 27 years, would live for 360 years, and if taken daily for 64 years, would live up to 500 years. So <laughs> oh, man. That's a, that's a formula just for royalty. And then it was combined, that was combined with uh, an Ayurvedic uh, formula, and um, together they have over 5,000-year history yielding the potency of this particular product. So it's got an Ayurvedic and a Korean oriental medical history and um it's a very broad spectrum very powerful adaptogenic formula yeah it's, it's got like a paste mm-hmm. and um it has a strong taste to it not an unpleasant taste it's kind of like an acquired taste i'm thinking that you're going to be the guy that it will will eat it just like me and my family i'll eat durian from thailand but only my daughter will but my son and my wife think it's horrible some of these teas taste absolutely rotten to most people but i yeah, this, i tend to love the yeah this doesn't this actually is very pleasant tasting and it's, okay. it's not sour it's not bitter it's uh, it's got a it's got a sweet taste to it. It's uh, you know uh, it's it's a unique taste though. But what I do is I just take a tablespoon or so and put it in not not boiling water, but water that was boiling. Then you let it calm calm down. You don't want to cool use down it. a bit. Yeah, to act, it activates a lot of different things in there. Now, if people want to live seven or eight or nine hundred years, how will they get this? Is this is not in health food stores, is it? Mm-mm. No, it's a special formula that um, we have made for us, brought in here actually. And, um, yeah, it's available at our office and for listeners if they want to get it. Now, you know, this has been one of those issues where mm-hmm. when people call our office, you can't, they can't get the formulas that we have available because they're only, use, they're only used for our patients and or for doctors that have gone through our training program. Yeah. That's not, that's not based on ego. We're trying to be exclusivists here. It's just that we can't keep up with the supply as it is for our own existing patients. So it's hard when you start opening it up. But uh, we will have this available. Actually, this is already available, and we, we should be able to get this without too much problem now. So if anybody is interested, they can call the office. Okay, and we have the number linked in the, in the show notes, as we always do. So check it out online at robertscottbell.com. And, of course, I mentioned when you sign up for email alerts there, you'll also get the, the code for uh, listeners to the show to access the, the what we talked about, the private club, the group that will allow for the free flow of information because you're moving out of the public health into the private arena. We may mention that again. We've got one more segment. Dr. Batar's voice is holding up. I am so grateful. And uh, check it all out online. And, again, we tell you about if you're interested in hosting an advanced medicine seminar in your city, get you and 49 of your friends together, and we'll talk once more, remind you about how it's possible to bring it to where you want to be. So stand by for that and a whole lot more on Advanced Medicine Monday right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Bittar. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Last week, Dr. Vitar, when you announced that uh, we'll open up the advanced medicine seminars to cities that can gather enough uh, folks together, I had the most interest came out of where? New York City. A lot yeah. of our listeners up there going, gosh, we got to get this up here. We want to do that. And, of course, we were in Philly for the first one, which is not too far up the road, but I think that would be a reasonable thing to do. Absolutely. I think we can go anywhere. Um, I'm not even limited to countries. Uh, we're open to even going to other countries, which which we will eventually as we get bigger. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So once again, I will remind everybody, if you're serious about this, this is not just something you, you kind of throw on a whim. Obviously, there are months of planning to go into these events. 
But it is uh, likely that, indeed, there's a lot of people in any given city that would come together and want to do this. So if you want to talk more about it, how, how best do we get them in touch with the right person? We mentioned it last week. I want to remember again. They can contact Cindy at uh, cindyh at com. That's her email address. Mm-hmm. Or they can just go through the just info at com and submit a uh, inquiry, a ticket, what we call a ticket, and it goes into the channels, and they will get all that stuff set up. All right. So advanced medicine seminars. I got this in the notes as well. Cindy H. at com. If you're serious, and I know the group from New York seems to be, uh, just send her an email and explain what you're interested in doing, and she'll get back to you on the parameters and how to put that uh, put that together so we can have some advanced medicine seminars in a city near you. Or, like I said, maybe you want to travel. we got lots of events around the country, and we can talk about the upcoming ones as well. I believe Chicago uh, is the next one on the docket officially? Yes. Okay. That's correct. Great. Well, we got a number of events in Chicago. I know i got the Health Freedom Expo in June again, uh, the Autism One as well. So uh, advanced medicine seminars coming in to top, top it all off there. Now, let's see. With your voice holding up, we only have a few minutes left. I'm just thinking if there's uh, other urgent topics that we wanted to cover. I do see that, that South Carolina has uh, stood the, 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 the attack against raw milk and said, no, 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 we are not backing down. People in South Carolina have an ability and a right to sell and produce raw milk. So congratulations to our listeners in South Carolina, one state away from you in North Carolina, where it's, I think, a little bit more difficult. Yeah, did they, so did they get that upheld, or is it, are they just standing up for it? Yeah, according to the news, it looks like it's upheld in South Carolina. They uphold the freedom of people there to buy and sell raw milk. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I know that we normally drive to South Carolina to get our raw milk. Mm-hmm. And you'll continue to be able to do so because North Carolina is still a bit backwards in that, isn't it? It's, uh, it is very backwards in that now because of how backward they are. Um, we have our own dairy cow that we are – we haven't started milking her yet because she just got dried up. She's getting ready to have a calf mm-hmm. in about uh, 60 days. But right after she calves, we'll be producing our own raw milk for ourselves. Now, obviously, we can't sell it. But we can consume it ourselves, and that's what we're going to be doing. Yes, exactly. So that's the one thing I wish, like I've said, everybody should have certain things. And we've talked about a nebulizer for needs there with with, with silver, maybe a rife machine in every home. (laughs) You know, certain things like growing some food at home and, hey, having your own chickens and cows would be a great idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's not just... <clears throat> it's not just regular cows. It's the A2, A2 milk. Mm-hmm. In fact, we will have um, – I'll give people a reference to a website if they want to go uh, learn a little bit more about the, that specific type of milk that we're putting together right now. So, Do you have that link uh, just off the top of your head? I think it's going to be A2, A2milk.com. So it's not up yet? Yeah, you know, it might already be up because some of the content was put up there. Let me – while we're talking here, Robert, I'll check. Mm-hmm. You got it. So we're talking also, and, and if you go back in the archives, I want to remind all of our new listeners to the Robert Chad Bell Show and Advanced Medicine Monday, we've got over 100 shows now, and it's quite extraordinary the amount of information we've been able to reveal that are available through iTunes and Natural News Radio and MedicalRewind.com, including some of the episodes where we actually talked about this, the genetic uh, I- integrity of the certain type of milk that is more compatible for most, and that's the A2 issue. So uh, Dr. Batar, if that site is up, we'll let everybody know. We have it linked up just in case for when it becomes active. 
Yeah, it's a2a2milk.com, and it is partially done. There's content up there, but you may see a lot of blah, 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 which is just where the text has to still be placed in there. <laughs> yeah, well, you're never one to shy away from opening the information flow up, even if it's not complete. So uh, don't worry. If you go to a2a2milk.com, you'll see it's starting, and it'll be a good place to get more information <laughs> for you. But it's very funny to read it now where it says, page one, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right, right. No, but, it's, it's, the information is coming. In fact, that yeah. down below, there's a, there's a lot of content. There's a good article on A2 and the BCM7 peptide below, so it's worth checking out. Uh, indeed, this is uh, great news. And, of course, if you haven't already gotten the Nine Steps, international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, the place to go is it linked up. And, of course, we've got that as well, the ninesteps.com, and you can check that out. Also, loads of video content available free for download. Certainly uh, some videos over the years that you've produced, even one that we've talked about that I narrated to open up. Lots of things that are available and are more all of the time. It's important, Robert, I think that, People remember, and that you and I, this is our premise with everything, has been that with knowledge comes power. And once you're empowered, you become independent, you become autonomous, you become free. Mm-hmm. And so that information was put out there and was put together originally to help people understand what their options were. And I think it's you know, best summarized by the way you end the show every week, which is a power to heal is yours. And I think that is the essence of what we're talking about, that the power to heal is in any of your bodies. It's their own innate, right? Mm-hmm. And um and all you have to do is just reach out and grab it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, when you do, you'll find that uh, Dr. Batar's voice is still working. Thank you, Dr. Batar, for hanging with us uh, on this Advanced Medicine Monday. We, we didn't know going in, but you did great. And uh, we'll have to try that 700-year-old ancient tea formula. <laughs> we'll have linked up as well. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate the, uh, the support there for my voice and uh, taking uh, – the, the opportunity to actually use this tea, so it's worked well. That's great. Living Testament right here on the air. Keep rocking the health world. I know you will, Dr. Batar, until next week on Advanced Medicine Monday here. The power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. 